Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. One of the lessons that we've learned from this pandemic is that as humans, we function best and most comfortably when we can rely on a level of predictability in our lives. Mm -hmm. Of course, things happen. There's not a person listening to a depression podcast who doesn't understand that. But from day to day, we usually knew if our business or company would be open, that we could attend a movie if we had the money and interest, that we would be able to safely hold our loved ones, travel freely, and get together with friends and family. Having those givens changed, threatened, or taken away, leads to all sorts of physical and emotional reactions that contribute to the rise in substance use and abuse, anxiety, and depression that we're currently seeing. Now, forget about the pandemic for a minute. Imagine being a child, the child of a parent with a mental illness, in this case, bipolar disorder. Think about the impact of waking up day after day unsure of what your home environment was going to be like, particularly if your parent is undiagnosed or untreated. How would the level of vigilance required change the way that you view the world as an adult? How would it change your ability to trust and have healthy boundaries and relationships? Today's guest, Michelle Dickinson, joins Terry to explore some of those questions to discuss her role as a child caregiver and to give her voice to depression. All right, well, let's start with the fact that you have a pretty unique understanding of how important and maybe how fragile mental health is from the outside, from the inside, and then now as a mental health advocate. So if you don't mind telling me a bit about your mother, and what that experience was like, and how old you were when you realized something was not normal, and I'm using quotes there, and what that looked like, and probably more importantly, what it felt like. Yeah, my mom. Um, It was probably when I was three or four, I had cousins that came to live with us. And until that point, my mom was like, a typical mom. Like, I don't remember anything now. I was very little, but I don't remember my mom being anything less than a loving mom. And when my two cousins came to live with us, there was like instant pressure is my only, um, sort of justification for it because then she became very irrational and very, um, I don't know how to explain it. She was incredibly strict and structured with having three children, And that was when she started to have these symptoms of, you know, massive control to sadness, to, to extreme mania, just running around, just being hyper, not sleeping. 
Michelle says as her erratic childhood years passed, her mother became more and more fragile. You know, and then she would have these deep, dark, depressive periods of time where there was nothing you could do to console her from crying. She would sit on the couch and cry. There'd be times in the middle of the night, the lights would be all on downstairs and she would just be sitting in her chair crocheting and crying, not sleeping. And there was nothing you could do about it. And then, you know, the house would slip into chaos where she was no longer cooking. She was no longer cleaning. And it fell on us to sort of pick things up. So it was hard. So how was it explained to you as a child? I mean, did your father or someone tell you your mom was actually ill? Or were you just left to wonder what the heck was going on? So her mania was a lot like Disney, and I never thought anything bad of it. But it was the depression. It was the, it was the nervous and upset uh, pattern that would ultimately have her be taken away to the hospital that my, my father and my grandmother and my aunt would explain to me that your mother is sick and she has to go away. And she would be gone for, for weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd undergo uh, shock therapy, all kinds of treatment, and then she would come home. Wow. How many times did that happen? How many hospitalizations? Oh, I would say throughout my whole childhood and young adult years, six or seven times. So as a child and young adult, did you understand that her illness wasn't your fault or in your control? I wish I could say yes to that, but my father's understanding of the disease was not where it could have been. And you're also dealing with the 1970s and 80s when mental illness was a very different thing. My father, I can remember him saying snap out of it to her. Like you can't, you know that. It's like you can't tell a bipolar person to snap out of it. And if she was upset and he came home from work, he would say to me, well, if you were just a good girl, she wouldn't have been upset. So no, I mean, I I took that burden on and thought that I could influence and have an impact on her level of sickness. So what'd you do? Did you avoid her? Did you try to be that good girl? What was your attempt at controlling her sadness and behaviors? I played the role of a chameleon. I feel like when I reflect, and I'm still in therapy to this day at 48, trying to unpack all this, I would adjust to whatever mood she was having. And so if she was sad, I would try to make her happy. If she was angry or volatile, I would make myself uh, scarce because I knew if I was within within her distance, that I was going to be, you know, the source of her relief in whatever way. That constant focus on and adjustment to her mother's health and mood left little space for Michelle or her family to tune into and attend to her own. I muted myself. I didn't, I didn't open my mouth to what I needed and what I wanted. I just tried to be out of sight and out of mind most of the time. And that, that shaped me into having me feel like my voice didn't matter. You know, like my, my needs didn't matter. Everything was around making sure she was happy and peaceful. So you use the word chameleon. I have also lived with someone with bipolar disorder. Mine was a father. Do you remember coming home and immediately doing the barometer you know, walking in, I knew it was either going to be Hey Princess or something far darker. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, I wrote my memoir, Breaking Into My Life, and 
on my website, there's a free excerpt and there, the excerpt is about me coming home from school and not knowing the mother that I was going to get. And like the trepidation, when I put my hand on the doorknob to enter the back door of the house and just knowing she's going to either be in a good mood and happy to see me, or she's going to beat the crap out of me. And I don't know what I'm going to get. Did you bring friends home? Rarely. So there were times where I had a confidence that she was okay enough and then I would bring a friend home and then she'd have strange behavior that I'd have to explain for like the next several weeks to my friends. Like, no, she's really okay. She's normal. But her behavior would be so off the wall that you'd be so embarrassed by who, by, you know, what she was doing and what she was saying. So, yeah. Is it hard even now to talk about it? No. I mean, you know, I think certain conversations remind me of how hard it was. But, you know, like you, I, I'm i now dedicating my life to removing the stigma of mental health. And that's that's what's at stake. It's not about, you know, how hard it was for me. If I can help someone understand how hard it is to love someone with a mental illness and how punishing it can be for a, a, a loved one, a caregiver then that's the end game for me. And I'm willing to talk about my story, you know? Um, Of course, it invokes emotions because it was my mother and I only ever wanted her to be healthy and happy and enjoyable to be with, but I never got that or rarely got that. Okay, so let's talk about helping somebody. If there's somebody listening, maybe a child, maybe another adult in the house, and they know that this situation is going on and it's a reality for the child. What does the kid need to do? What does the kid need to understand about mental illness and the adult in their life and their role in all of it? Yeah, you know, I I think if I was to rewind and say what I wish what someone would have done for me is they, they could have pulled me aside and said, your mother's illness has nothing to do with you and your behavior has nothing to do with you and their and, and who you are. Her absence in my life in so many ways was painful. Um, but this belief that I had that I was causing this unexplained pain was just not fair. I think kids who are in situations with a parent who has a mental illness, they should know first and foremost that it's not their fault. So what about that? I know that one of the things I have frequently said in therapy myself is I can handle any truth, you know, hard truths. But the part I don't do well with is people pretending this is normal when you know it's not. Did you know it wasn't normal? I mean, it was your normal. I understand that. But was it explained to you or did you figure out what normal was when you went to friends' houses? Yeah, I think that was it. I didn't know what I didn't know until I went to a friend's house and saw, oh, wow, this is what it's supposed to be. Or this is very different from my childhood. Like, yeah, I think that was a huge revelation. But then I had another revelation as I got older. I had someone say to me that your mother is not her disease. Separate your mother from her disease. And she's still loving, caring woman, human being. So separate her from her disease and don't hate her, hate the disease. And I thought that's really insightful because no, I collapsed those two because she was not nice to me and I was at the effects of her abuse. So it's very hard to say, Mm -hmm. I love you, but I hate your disease. And that took some 
some distance and time and maturity and all of that. Yep. <laughs> and and her death. Yeah, I think I sort of realized that after her death that she just did the best she could with the mental illness, you know, and sort of began to forgive her for what I thought she should have been. Yeah, for what I thought she should have been to me. I, I was able to forgive her. And from the most, the place of grace, of course, it's probably what she wanted to be too. We, we now as adults realize. Oh my goodness. And you know, I'm adopted and I thought, oh, I'm never going to deal with this. Like, no, I don't have her genes. So life events happen and people get people get knocked down. And so that's what happened to me is I was diagnosed with clinical depression and I was like, huh, so this is a snapshot of what her entire, probably majority of her adult life was like. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. For me, it was a blip in the in the bigger picture. It was a short amount of time for my overall life, knock wood. For her, that was her life. What did you realize, and maybe I'm asking you to tell me about your depression, but maybe I'm not. What did you realize in your depression that made you, I don't know, is the word soften or is it just better understand? It's definitely a better understanding because I could understand how hard it was for me to get out of bed in the morning, right? It was hard for me to get out of bed in the morning with depression. And then I was able to understand, oh my gosh, for my mom, it must've been really hard to have bipolar and like function. It was the function functioning of in life with depression that was huge for me to get my mom's world. When you were depressed, were you able to separate yourself from your illness? It's kind of hard to do that. Yeah, it is. When it comes to abuse is when I'm saying we have to separate it because there's a loving human being there who isn't intending. Someone once said to me, the hurt hurt others. My mother was hurting. Mm -hmm. And because she was hurting, she was hurting those around her. Yeah, that is, you know, again, from my now adult, um, you know, very distanced and post his death, um, my heart breaks that he didn't have attention and meds because I believe that his entire life and therefore our lives would have been very different. Mm-hmm. Very different. And it's, you know, he also missed out. It wasn't just us. You know, that was his life too. And that's sad. Sure. sure. And there is help available. So if you're in a relationship with somebody who has depression, bipolar disorder, how do you respect them and care for and protect yourself? You know, I think anyone who has some type of mental illness should always be in care. And if they're not in care, then encouraging them to get into some type of care or support is the first step. And if they're not, then you really have to do some reflecting as to, you know, what are you gaining from putting up with something that doesn't serve you? And as a kid, you don't really have a choice. No, I didn't have a choice. Again, I'm older than you, so I'm talking about 60s, you know, the 60s, not my 60s. And there was no like, hey, dad, you know, I think that something's wrong and that you would benefit from treatment. You know, that that was not a conversation that was going to happen, not between a child and him and probably not between any adult and him. It's a conversation of medication, too. I know a lot of people might not believe in medication, but if medication is going to stabilize your mood so that you're enjoyable for yourself to be around, and then for the, the if you have a love in your life to be around, 
that's a responsibility. Like you can do life successfully if you're cared for and treated by a professional. You know, I, I know so many amazing people who have a mental illness who are doing very well because they manage it and they take responsibility for their for their mental health. Um, and they want that partner or that family member in their life. So, you know, it's like there everyone has a role in this. Yeah, taking responsibility for our mental health. Um you know, it, it's it's most certainly for ourselves, but it's also for our family and the people in our lives. And when we don't manage ourselves, the effects on the families continue on for generations. Agreed. Trust issues, boundary issues, self-esteem, what we think is normal, what we think is acceptable. Exactly. Exactly. When Michelle said, I muted myself and Ugh. my needs didn't matter, um, it reminded me of something I heard on Moth Radio over the weekend, and it said that the adult is supposed to be the child's audience, not the other way around. Child's audience and caretaker and protector. Oh, yeah. Hold this, a container, yeah. right? Hold space for them to... Yep. Yeah, all everything. Grow and, and learn and, yes. Protect them, mm-hmm. not threaten them. So, mm-hmm. yep. Shelter them. It's a scary thing, and it's it's the point that we hope is the takeaway from this episode that, you know, if you have um, or 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 a concern that you might, you know, especially with COVID, a lot of us are experiencing things we've never experienced before. Is it normal? Is it normal anxiety? Is it normal depression for this environment? Or is it something that would benefit from treatment? And that might be meds, that might be therapy, that might be something else entirely, but it would be good to have a professional involved in helping you make that determination. And then if you love somebody who's just not right, let them know that and, and encourage them to get help too. Because as Michelle said, there are amazing people, um, I like to think we're two of them, Bridget, um, living with uh, you know mental health challenges and managing them. Yeah. And we'll be linking to Michelle's website where you can learn more about her work um, and her memoir called Breaking Into My Life. Mm-hmm. And she's taking her inside and outside experience from both her own depression and her mother's bipolar disorder and going into companies and helping them have a more empathetic and less stigmatized environment. So that is also um, information about that on her website. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you, Bridget. Stay healthy. Take care of each other. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.